Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. It is Wednesday night, and that means it's time for the happiest hour, and tonight, the most magical night of the week, Friends and Fiction. Welcome to our show. We have so much to look forward to tonight. I am Patty Callahan. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Kristen Harmel. And I am Christy Woodson Harvey. And tonight, y'all, it is about magic. The magic of stories, of fantastic lands and snowy forests, of the launch of Once Upon a Wardrobe, of the magic of our incredible guest, Alice Hoffman, and her magic series, culminating this month with the Book of Magic, the fourth about the Owens family. But before we dive in, remember, we started Friends in Fiction to support indie bookstores, and we have partnered with Warwick's in beautiful La Jolla, California, as our featured indie bookseller through the end of October. Warwick's is the country's oldest continuously family-owned and operated bookstore. So we see them as an ideal partner for our mission. We are going to keep encouraging you to shop local and shop small by buying from Warwick's all month long. And we will be offering you special opportunities along the way. Browse their selection, which includes the Friends in Fiction host books, as well as latest as by tonight's guest, Alice Hoffman. If you order either Alice or Patty's book from Warwick tonight, you'll receive an exclusively designed wooden bookmark. Before we get into our show, we have to take a second to have a big celebration because yesterday, yeah. my wardrobe launched. So I think I can do this. Woo! And hit number eight. We have yes. so much to celebrate. Yes. So we're so excited Not for her. On your copy of Once Upon a Wardrobe yet. Now Do is your wait time. Another minute. It is amazing and fabulous. Kristen, are you drinking champagne? Did we give you that memo? I, I am. Christy, can you just pour top me off? Maybe long distance? Yeah, no. A little, we'll yeah. give you a roadie. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, you feel so close to just put it through the screen. All right, I know, cheers. I know. Cheers. I feel so happy with you. Cheers. Where's cheers. the pub week, y'all? Here is so the pub week. Happy mm. pub week. Well, speaking Ooh. of Once Upon a Wardrobe, we know, you all know, we have a regular column for Parade Magazine. And this week's essay written by Patty is all about fairy tales and why they're still so important today. It's about the allure of the words once upon a time and what that does to us. How apropos for a night like tonight as we celebrate two weavers of fairy tale magic. Patty, can you tell us a little bit about the essay you wrote? I ask, are we too old for fairy tales? Do they still matter? Because as Lewis, the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe says... Sometimes fairy stories 
say best what needs to be said. So I wrote a little bit about why this is true, how these kind of stories, including Alice Hoffman's book with magic, how they affect our lives. You can find literary theory and you can find definition galore, but isn't a fairy tale different for each of us? They invite us into imaginary worlds so that we can better understand this world. When I go to a fairy tale, I set out for one destination and arrive at another completely. They hold all these emotional truths and they blend the real and the fantastic. And more importantly, they are enchanting. So at our after show party tonight, we are going to hear everyone's favorite fairy tales and childhood tales. And we will have some special pop-in guests to talk about them too. But I cannot wait to hear what Alice Hoffman says about all of this as she writes very much about the impact of fairy tales. So I know we don't have to, but I am going to tell you a bit about Alice Hoffman. Alice Hoffman is the best-selling author of over 30 novels, three books of short fiction, and eight books for children and young adults. Alice wrote her first novel, Property Of, at the age of 21, while she was studying at Stanford. Her work has been published in more than 20 translations and more than 100 foreign editions. Several of her novels have been recognized as notable books of the year by the New York Times, Entertainment Weekly, Library Journal, and People Magazine. Her novel, Practical Magic, was made into a Warner Brothers film starring Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman. Alice also wrote the original screenplay for Independence Day, a film starring Diane Wiest and Kathleen Quinlan. I'm going to have to go back and watch Practical Magic. That was I know, it's so good. I yeah. know, so good. I loved that movie, yeah. So good. so good. Alice grew up on Long Island and currently lives in Boston. She donated her Advance from Local Girls, which is a collection of interconnected stories about love and loss on Long Island, to help create the Hoffman Breast Center at Mount Auburn Hospital in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The fourth and final novel in Alice's Practical Magic series, The Book of Magic, was released this was released last week. And we are so happy to have her. Sean, could you bring Alice on? Okay. Magic is afoot. Welcome, Alice. It is such a thrill to have you. But before we get started, we all have something to say. Ready? Congratulations! Congratulations! Oh, thank you. So I have read so much of your work, and The Marriage of Opposites was my gateway to your novels. And the fourth in the magic series, The Book of Magic just came out. So if you could tell everyone out there just a little bit about the book and where we are in the series and something about the new one. Yeah, well, I I wrote Practical Magic 25 years ago, and I never thought I would write about those characters of that family again. And then I started to get letters and notes from readers saying that they wanted more and they wanted a sequel. And I I don't know, it took me 25 years or so to 20 years to do it. And I decided I didn't want to write a sequel. I really wanted to write a prequel because I'm interested in going back in time. Mm. Kind of family histories are really fascinating to me. So I wrote um, the next book I wrote was called The Rules of Magic, which takes place in New York City in, 19, in the 1960s. 
And then after that, I wrote a book called Magic Lessons, which goes back to the 17th century. And it's kind of the origin story. And now this is the book of magic is the last in the series, the last Owens family book, which was kind of sad for me, but also I felt like there was closure and I had had the really good fortune to have, have these characters with me for almost 25 years. Sad for the reader too, Alice, sad for the reader too. I have it being the last one. Oh, well, thanks. But, you know, I feel like there's kind of closure when you're, I think there needs to be closure. You know, it it doesn't feel that way with like a single novel. It can end where it ends. But once you start having, you know, many novels about the same family, it feels like for me, it felt like there had to be some sort of closure for, for the family and for the readers and also for me. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, your opening line in the Book of Magic is so pitch perfect. And I remember I read it really late at night and I wanted more than anything to text our friend Ron Block, who is our <laughs> rock star librarian that runs our podcast. But um, some stories begin at the beginning and others begin at the end. But all the best stories begin in a library. So good. So good. Yeah. Okay. So where did this series begin? What was your original spark for this fascinating Owens family? You know, I'm not exactly sure, but I, I the way I really started what was I have a list of titles that I like a running list of titles. Oh, such a good I, idea. I had a title called Practical Magic, and I just said this is a book. I I don't know what the book is, but I think it's a book. <laughs> and I'd always been interested in in which is you know actually I was cleaning up my house during COVID and getting everything together, and I stumbled upon my the oldest drawing that I remember making in first grade, but I didn't remember this. And it was a drawing of a witch with a black cat and a bat, very, you know, typical witch. But I thought, you know, I've had like the same subject matter my whole life. And (laughs) so, you know, I wasn't surprised when the, when the Owens family turned out to be witches. (laughs) That's amazing. So did you, I think you sort of answered this, but you didn't always mean to necessarily make this into a series or write a fourth book. No, not at all. I mean, if I had thought I was going to make it into a series, I would have done it in a much smarter way and had an outline (laughs) and kind of a plan for all the books. But that's, that's really not what happened. I, you know, it was kind of a hodgepodge because I didn't think I would be doing it. Makes sense. Wow. So, Alice, I would love to talk to you about the word magic and how it enchants us all so very much. You, as your tagline says, blend the real and the fantastic, which goes to your oft-quoted line, books are the only true magic. So since we're talking about magic tonight, what is magic to you? How would you define it? Well, for me in my life, it really has been books and literature and writing and being a reader. I feel the magic for me was when I first went to a library and I had the freedom to choose any book that I wanted and to read anything that I wanted. And also for me, growing up where I did, where there wasn't there wasn't much hope, um, it gave me hope in that there was you know another world and other possibilities. It kind of opened the world in the best way and I think in the most magical way. I love that. And I feel like that's what magic does open. So you have fairy tales and all of this, they open these new worlds to us, as as Patty said earlier. Um, You also write in the ice queen, every fairy tale had a bloody lining. I'm so interested in that. Can you talk to us about that line and how fairy tales and witches, as you said, witches have always um, interested you. Can you talk a little bit about how fairy tales and witches interest and inspire you? Well, you know, there are some people that think that nobody under the age of eight should should be read fairy tales or should read fairy tales. 
because they're really brutal stories. They're very emotionally true and psychologically true. I think that's why I love them as a kid, because I just, when I was growing up, a lot of kids' literature kind of talked down to you. And fairy tales never talked down to the reader. And, um, you know, the other thing is with the, with the, with the bloody lining is that I always feel like there's like an outside story and an inside story when you're you're writing a novel. So the outside story, you know, you usually know the inside story reveals itself to you as you're writing. Usually, you know, you sometimes don't know what you're writing about until you're in the process or until you finish sometimes. That's a good point. And that's kind of a little bit magical too. Absolutely. Um, why do you think little girls are interested in witches? Why, why do you think witches appeal to, um, to girls and to women? I, I've read you um, talking about how uh, witches are the only female mythic figures that have power. And I think that's such an interesting statement. Okay. Is that something that, that, you, um, that you still feel and that you kind of draw on when you're working on these books? I think it's, I think it's really true. I mean, certainly when I was growing up, at Halloween, you could be either a princess or a witch. That was pretty much it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Don't forget the bride, Alice. The bride. I, I don't know what the bride. I think the bride and the princess are kind of the, the bride is the princess. Um, and I always wanted to be a witch. But even now, you know, when little girls have options and there are other characters they could be, I mean, everybody still wants to be a witch. So I think, you know, it's exactly that, you know, that the witch is the, is the character, is the mythic character that has some power. And one of the interesting things I read recently that I forget the exact percentage, but something like 80 or 85 percent of the heroes in fairy tales are girls. And that's really not true statistically of other stories. So, you know, I think for all of us. I have never heard that percentage in a fairy tale. When I was writing that essay, I was doing all this research on fairy tales. And one of the fascinating things was how many things they've been called through the ages, wonder tales, dream tales, folk tales, but I've never heard that that percentage have been women. That is fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, it's also interesting that some of the, you know, the most famous, you know, collectors of fairy tales are men and that they kind of co-opted and corrupted the stories to be what they wanted it to be so that the kind of image of the witch is of like the ugly old crone or something. With big warts, always warts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or the wicked stepmother yeah. is probably a creation. Yep. The wicked stepmother will, well, sometimes that's that happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a children's lit class in college and we studied the original um, Grimm's Brothers versions of fairy tales and uh, you would not want contemporary children to read those yeah. because, for instance, in Cinderella, the evil stepsisters, I mean, one of them um, who puts on the slippers dances to her death because they're made out of fire. And the birds peck out their eyes. Yeah, they're grim. They really are grim. Yeah. They're yeah. Grim. Well, they're brutal, you know, they're, they're very brutal fairy tales. Yeah. yeah. And then but- Disney cleaned them up. Yep, and make money off of them. Yeah. Yeah. Alice, you've written so many different types of fiction and nonfiction, as well as a screenplay for the 1983 film Independence Day with Kathleen Quinlan. Not to be confused with the 96 film of the same name. Will Smith? Yeah, with Will Smith. (laughs) Would you talk to us about going back and forth 
between solid realism and magical realism. Is that process different? And how do you choose your subject? I have a lot of questions, a lot of questions. So is, is that a different process? How do you choose your subject? And how do you seesaw back and forth between those different genres and stories? Well, I don't see myself as a writer of realism. And I, I, I find that realism is kind of the new kid on the block, that the, that the, that literature really is, is more magical, contained more magic up until recently. Um, so, and I really, you know, I don't like the kind of putting things into genres because I think it's a way to devalue them yeah. as not literature. You know, if it's fantasy, it's not literature. I think that's all changing sort of a little. Slowly. Yeah. But certainly when I was growing up, you know, there was like fantasy and science fiction and there was mystery and, you know, then there was literature and um, literature was usually written by men. And um, so, you know, I think for me, I was a screenwriter for a long time, for about 25 years. And, you know, it's just such a different process than than being a novelist where you're kind of in charge of things and being a screenwriter you're you can be very easily replaced and you know there could be three screenwriters on on a project just a very different process and and you know a novel just belongs to you and the reader you know basically yeah do you ever feel um schizophrenic going back and forth in in my life or or (laughs) (laughs) i think all writers are schizophrenic we live in our we live in our head and then we have to go out in the real world and buy groceries yeah. and get our cars tuned up. Yeah. You know, I always thought like, what are other people thinking about when they're like in line waiting for their coffee? You know, I don't I, know. I think that too. I'm like, what do you think about? What do you think about? Yeah. I, I don't know. I think about that all the time. When I'm go- falling off to sleep, yeah. I'm wondering, I wonder what somebody else thinks about mm-hmm. while they're going to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> My best ideas come in the shower. So yeah. I always wonder... Well, is so everybody funny. else in the shower just showering? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mine too. I mean, that's a great place for some reason. Your mind is just so freed. Yeah. yeah. Or driving when you're like on a long road yeah, trip. Yeah, driving always. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. It's so true. I have thought that I so many it. times. Alice, <laughs> I watched that in conversation you had with Matt Haig. It was so oh, fascinating. Yeah. He, he's yeah. amazing. He's amazing. I love his new book in the, the Midnight Library. I just love that book. And, you know, it's funny. It, that book would have been great no matter what. But the fact that it came out during COVID, it, yeah. it was just the perfect time. Because when I read it, I was so depressed the, the day I picked it up. And I had liked, really loved his work before. But this book is just spectacular. And I felt like compelled to write to him after I read the book because I felt so much better. Yes. After the Midnight Library, it's just a terrific book, and it and it's just so interesting. You know the idea of it of you know what if you what if you could live these different lives. Um, it offered so much hope, don't you think? Yes. It just I heard you call it an antidote to despair, and I a hundred percent agree. Yeah, I think it really is. It's wonderful. Yep. But in that conversation, I heard you say that writing a book is often writing a message to yourself. And it is a way of telling the truth to yourself. So did that happen with this fourth book in the magic series? You know, it just happened to me this morning, actually. (laughs) When I was writing, I'm just like, oh, my God, this is what the book is about. I had no idea. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I think, you know, it was a little bit different with the Book of Magic because I knew the family so well and I knew so much about them. Yes. Uh, but what I realized when I was writing it, it's really about breaking a curse. The family has this curse, which, you know, if, if any of them fall in love, then the person they're in love with will meet with a horrible, untimely death. And I realized, you know, so many families hand down these legacies of trauma in one way or another, you know, and I think that's part of like why people are so interested in genealogy and going back in history and trying to kind of figure out who they are, why they are the way they are. And, and I realized, you know, that was, you know, really what the book was about. I, um, I feel like every time I write a book, I come away with something I didn't think I was writing about. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think that's the, the inside story and the outside story, right? You think yes. you know and you have an outline or whatever, and then all of a sudden you realize there's something inside of there that you're trying to tell yourself. And I really always think that writers, novelists are writing books for themselves, you know. Yes, they're messages. Well, yeah. there's that quote from the Lucy Barton book, you know, Elizabeth Strout, about where the writing teacher says, don't worry about what story you're going to write. We all only have one and we just find different ways to tell it. Yeah. And I've always yeah, loved that. Yeah. Oh, she's such a great writer. Yep. I'm, that's she's amazing. So this book is called the book of magic, but there are also books of magic in the book of magic. And in your author note, you talk about Amelia Bassano Lanier, the first woman in England to publish a volume of poems, who was fictionalized in the novel Amelia Bassano and has been rumored to have written a lot of Shakespeare's work. So can you tell us a little bit more about her and how she inspired some of the Book of Magic? Yeah, I didn't know there was a novel about her, but yeah, I, I, um, she she is in she figures in magic lessons in the 17th century, and then again in the Book of Magic. And as you said, she was the first woman in Britain to publish a book of poems. You know, really got nothing for it. There, there are all kinds of rumors. She was she was a uh, came from a family of Jews from Venice. Um, Jews were not allowed in England for hundreds of years, nor in uh, any place else in Europe, and. Um, there are rumors that she was a dark lady that Shakespeare wrote about, or there are rumors that she actually wrote the plays because uh, she was the mistress of the person who was in charge of all theatricals in London. And she was involved with Christopher Marlowe, who who may or may not have taught her how to write a play. Um, but it's kind of an interesting idea. And she writes this book in, in my book, she also writes a book of dark magic kind of a book of revenge for everything she didn't get and everything she wanted. And my characters find this book and it's kind of like a witch's journal called a grimoire. And, um, and it leads them to places they wouldn't have otherwise gone to. So, you know, I think she's a very interesting character in that, you know, her life would have been so different had she been a man, of course. Of course. And when I said she's fictionalized in a novel, I meant your novel. Oh, oh. She's fictionalizing your novel. Um, yeah. I mean, she's not so much a character as she is kind of a voice and a writer. Well, and she's an inspiration for the Owens, right? Yeah. To she's go. An but she's also, it's it's also, she's also kind of a warning. Though, yes. Because she's very, very, um, she's so wounded and so hurt that her magic is very dark. Yeah. 
I want to ask about the left hand and right hand magic. That is, without any spoilers, you divide the dark magic and the light of magic into left hand and right hand. Tell me a little bit about how that came about from your research. Yeah, well, I mean, that is what, you know, black magic is called as left-handed magic. And uh, you know, okay. the left hand is, has been long thought of to be, you know, kind of evil in, in some ways, left-handed people. Sorry if anybody's left-handed, it's not yeah. my... <laughs> She didn't write the rules. She's just telling them. I didn't write the rules. I'm just telling you. My father is. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, well, I think that's one of the reasons they tried to make left-handed people be right-handed. You know, that's yeah. what they used to do back in the day is, is, you know, tie your left hand down so that you had to use your right hand. Um, wow. So I don't know. I think that there are, you know, you know, you know, there's good and evil. The world is, is, is split into light and darkness. And especially, you know, when we talk about myths, so that's part of what happens. Do you have your own library of books of magic? Because I I know they're real. They're out in the world. It's fascinating. I do. I do. I mean, I I have research. I have research books. I I don't have have a witch's book because, you know, with a witch's journal is supposed to be burned when, when, when she dies, unless it's passed down to, to a family member, because it's private, it's personal. And, you know, you just don't want your magic getting out there to just anyone. So fascinating. So fascinating. You know, Alice, we've been talking a lot about literal magic tonight, right? Like the magic you write about, but, um, you know, we were talking about this before we went on the show and I think you've done something really truly magical in your own life with the founding of the Hoffman Cancer Center. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Can can you talk a little bit about that and, um, and, and, and kind of what your experience was leading up to that and what made you bring that into the world? Yeah. Well, I had breast cancer, I think about 25 years ago. I'm, I'm kind of blocking it out exactly when I think it was 1998. Actually, it was just when the movie Practical Magic was being made so that I, I was supposed oh, to be oh, wow. because I was otherwise engaged. Oh, but wow. uh, in the hospital that I went to, which is a great hospital, it's a Harvard teaching hospital, but they didn't have a breast center. So you just kind of sat there with everybody else while you're waiting for your radiation. You're sitting next to some yeah. kid who you know broke his arm playing baseball. It was just like... It was not, not the most comfortable thing. And when I was when I was done with my treatment, I was so grateful. I asked my friends there who were doctors, you know, what could I do? And they said, you know, do something local. And so we created the, together, working together, the center. And for, I think, the past 20 years, it might be 25 years, we've had a writer's event every year and have raised quite a lot of money. And writers have been so generous and have given of their time so amazingly. So... You know, it's just, it's been a great experience to be involved with it. Well, that's awesome. Count us in in the future if you ever need us. That's a, that's yeah, a nice we're thing. in. It, it, means, it means something to all of us too. Um, you. you know, Alice, we were also talking a little bit earlier about um, the decision about whether or not to share that experience and how it's difficult. You know, it, it's, it's a difficult choice. How much of yourself do you share when you're going through something like that? But ultimately, you wrote about your experience in memoir form, um, and you have shared yeah. it now very broadly. What what brought you to that point where you felt like you were ready to do that? Well, I really didn't tell many people we were talking about that before. And then I, you know, I think like the next after a year after my treatment, I wrote an article in the New York Times about it, and um, some of my family members found out about it that way. And then I wrote a book called Survival Lessons, just a very small book which I felt like was the book that I wish 
someone could have given to me, you know, when I was first diagnosed, because mostly I just really wanted to talk to survivors and to know that, you know, it was possible to survive. And um, so, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I'm kind of a private person for the first like 20 or, or so years when I was a writer, I never even told anyone I was a writer, never. And, you know, I just feel actually being involved with the center has made it easier for me to talk about certain things and certainly to talk about cancer, but growing up, especially growing up for me, you know, you knew that was something you just didn't talk about. So it was partially my being private and not wanting to have it interfere with my work. But I think it was partially the way I had grown up was that, you know, you just don't talk about these things. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay, Alice, most of our viewers, and we admit us, one of our favorite parts of the show is to ask our guests for a writing tip. And trust me, all four of us are leaning forward to hear yours. So, Well, I have a few, but the one I think is the most important is one that my writing professor, Albert Gerard, um, gave to me, which was a great blessing. And it was that, you know, most writing teachers will tell you, write what you know. And he always said, write what you can imagine. And that was usually oh And I recommend that to everyone, especially to young writers. Don't feel like you have to tell the story of your life in fictional form. You can do whatever you want to do. If you can feel it, you can write it. So we have a lot of live questions coming in and everyone is asking what you're working on next. I, well, you know, I'm always afraid to talk about it too much, you know. I know, I know. <laughs> right? Because somehow that magically will do something. But I, I'm writing a, a book that's biblical. So it's completely different. Oh, wow. um, I, I wrote The Dove Keepers, which was, which was uh, kind of a, my biblical book. or um, Well, it was post-biblical. But this is even further back in time. And so it's been really fun and interesting for me to do the research and to write about that time period. Oh my gosh, whatever it is, we cannot wait. We cannot wait. Well, in The Marriage of Opposites, you wrote about a real person. Is the one you're working on a real person? Well, who knows? You know, back, you know, it was so long ago. Who knows? Who knows what's a story, what's a fairy tale, and what was real? You know, it's hard to tell. It's true. What's an origin story and what's a, yeah, what's a fable? Exactly. Thank you so much much for joining us with your very particular and enchanting kind of magic. Your new book is a spellbindingly good book and I'm sad I already read it because (laughs) I wish I had it ahead of me because I've read all four and I'm going to miss Jet and I'm going to miss the Owen sisters and I'm going to miss Black Tears. I'm going to miss all of it. We can go watch Practical Magic again. Let's do that tonight. Let's do it tonight. tonight. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks for joining me, guys. Congratulations. Congratulations. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, man. She was fantastic. She was amazing. Okay. Are you all ready for the virtual launch party of Once Upon a Wardrobe with a giveaway at the after party and loads of fun? I now hand over the reins of the sleigh to Kristen Harmel. 
I get to drive a sleigh. This is amazing. Yeah, this know. is why I've, yeah, I haven't had too much to drink tonight. I'm, I'm safe. I'm good. I forgot my jingle bells, but I'm all right. Um, I, you awesome. guys, this night could not get any better. First, Alice Hoffman and now Patty Callahan, our dear friend and friends in fiction co-founder who has written a beautiful masterpiece that brings alive the wintry world of Oxford and Worcester, England. Is that how you say it? That's Worcester? how you say it. Worcester, Worcester, okay, <laughs> Worcester. <laughs> so let's all walk through the wardrobe door to find out more. And just a reminder, after we finish talking with Pad tonight, the fun will continue in the after show with special guests and a giveaway. So you won't want to miss that. All right. So to start off our wardrobe celebration, Patty, I would love to know a bit about why you knew Alice Hoffman was going to be the perfect guest to share the stage with you tonight as we talked about magic. Can you tell us a little bit about that and about your book? When I first read Alice Hoffman and the way that she combined the real and the fantastic, it reminded me so much of all my favorite fairy tales and yet it was grounded in this kind of, you didn't disbelieve it. You were right there with her. And when I was writing Once Upon a Wardrobe, and she mentioned it tonight about origin stories. And I love that she said that, that she wrote an origin story for her story. And I was fascinated with the origin stories of our favorite stories. So I will give you the plot of Once Upon a Wardrobe really quick. It is winter of 1950, and there is a young boy named George who lives in a stone cottage in Worcester, England, right along the River Severn. It is the month of October, exactly 71 years ago this week in real life, when a small boat burst onto the scene. It was called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And George read it front to back and back to front and he hid in his wardrobe and he really wanted to find the magical land on the other side. He has a sister who is a math and physics genius and she comes home for the weekend and she attends Oxford University. And he says to her, I know that the writer of this book teaches at your university. I need you to track him down and I need you to ask him, where did this magical land come from? And she says, that's ridiculous. That's absurd. The world is founded on math and logic and physics. And Einstein is about to discover the theory of everything. And he begs her and she loves him. And she tracks down the author, C.S. Lewis. And he doesn't answer her the way we hope he does. He answers her with stories. <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. I've read this book. I've loved this book. Um, but to hear you talk about it now is giving me those just goosebumps and chills and all the good ways. And I want to go back and read it again. I mean, it really is. Um, it's just so magical. But before we dive into the rest of your book, for all of you watching out there, we have a question for you. We would like to know what was your favorite fairy tale as a child and why? So you can put your answer in the comments on either Facebook or YouTube if you're watching us live tonight. And we will pick a random winner and announce it in the after show. You will win this gorgeous custom-made candle 
called Through the Wardrobe by the Paris Market in Savannah. Oh my gosh, wardrobe into Narnia. Oh, that's beautiful. I absolutely love it. Did it hate it? What did it smell like, you guys? I haven't, I knew oh, you were just, oh my Paris gosh, Oh my gosh. It smells like a magical woodland. I'm it not does. kidding. It does. Does. It's like, I win if I put it in the comments. Fall holiday candle you've ever smelled. We left it in the car oh. last night. We had them in the car after we came back from our Savannah event. And this morning when we got in the car, the car smelled like a spell. And it's, yes. a, it's, and it's a rental car. So, like, so you know it's good. <laughs> it smells like old cigarette smoke. Yes. <laughs> it is pine, amber, and sugar plum. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. Well, yeah. that would be such a great prize. And all you have to do to win is just tell us your favorite fairy tale and why. And for anyone who orders Once Upon a Wardrobe from Warwick's tonight, that's our bookseller of the night, our bookseller of the month, you will be sent a beautiful wooden bookmark. So if you think about it, we can all be winners, each and every yeah. one of us. I do hope you'll pick up the book, which would make a great holiday gift too. So even if you have mm -hmm. it for yourself, um, you know, the book plus that bookmark would be a beautiful thing to give to somebody for the holidays this year. All right. So now without further ado, let's get started. Patty, you are in the hot seat of my little sleigh. Interrogation right. Central. I'm ready. I'm not Starting scared. Over here. I'm not scared. I'm scared. Well, I know. <laughs> The Once Upon a Wardrobe mm -hmm. is about a lot of things, but at its core, it starts with a question. Yes. Where do stories come from? Yes. I don't even have to look at my notes to know that that's yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so can you tell us what the origins were for <laughs> your story? It is interesting to talk about the origins of my story when my story is about the origins of another story. It's very meta. <laughs> <laughs> you know, anyone who watches Friends and Fiction knows that I am consistently fascinated about the origins of stories, about yeah. the first seed of a story. Where do stories come from? Where do they begin? And then how do they turn into what they turn into? And when I was writing Becoming Mrs. Lewis, which is about the improbable love story of C.S. Lewis and his fiery, courageous, fascinating and complicated wife, Joy Davidman, I saw all these little nuggets of his life inside my favorite childhood book. And I started to think about how so much of our lives as authors, and maybe one day it would be a fascinating episode to talk about what parts of our lives have shown up in novels. Because sometimes people see things we don't. Like, oh, that episode or the way you think about that. And they see it and we don't. Mm -hmm. And I wondered how much of what of his life that ended up in this book that has endured for generations, if he how much was conscious and how much was unconscious, how much is conscious or unconscious for him and how much is conscious or unconscious for us. And then the magical part. How no matter how many things we can point to, there is this large swath of story source that is completely ineffable, completely unexplainable, and completely mystical. And that was the origin for this story, was my wondering about how these stories come to be and how much of our life is in it and how much of pure ineffable magic is in them. Wow. Well, I also think, you know, there are people who might see this book and think, yeah. oh, I have to go back and read once. Oh, um, gosh. Um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or I don't know enough about C.S. Lewis. So 
Do you have to have any kind of background knowledge in C.S. Lewis to read this? Absolutely not. I The best way I can compare it to is that the line, the witch in the wardrobe is a vehicle for the yeah. story. So it doesn't matter what vehicle we use. It is a story about story. It is a story about how we tell stories, especially the ones that endure. I am you know, constantly fascinated by myths because they're the ones that stick with us and kind of define how we look at life. And this is one of those, because even if you've never read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, you know who Aslan is and you know who the white witch is because they're archetypes. And I was interested in that. So you absolutely need to have zero knowledge of the line, the witch in the wardrobe but to read you, it. You should go read. Yes. Um, Becoming Mrs. Lewis. Oh, absolutely. We're <laughs> <laughs> companions. Absolutely. You know, I, I will second that about, I, I have not read C.S. Lewis since I was a kid. I've not read, yeah. read the line, the witch in the wardrobe since I was a kid. I really don't have any memory of it. And that did not in any way impact how much I enjoyed this book. I, I thought it was yeah, beautiful. And the story was really, you know, the story was the story of, um, of George and and Meg's right. I mean, at at the heart, it was their story, the brother and the sister. Um, and and then the C.S. Lewis of it all was almost um, just this extra element that kind of brings them closer and brings magic into their lives. I, I felt like it was, um, you know, when you read like historical fiction, yep. and then you go back, like you read *Surviving Savannah*, and then you go back and you're like, I want to like research more about the yep. ship. I feel like you read *Once Upon a Wardrobe*, and you're like, oh, I'm going to go back and like read *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe* as like supplementary reading material. That's yes, awesome. Yes, good points. Yeah. Good points. Okay, Patty, we asked Alice, mm. what is magic to you? And she has to be the mistress of magic, contemporary magic. <laughs> yes. So the allure of the words, once upon a time, yeah. were fairy tales or magic realism? Which of those were important to you or were both of them important to you as a child? I was a, like all of us here. We were all bookworms. Oh, yeah. Right. Like it's the way I understood life. Life, when life wasn't making any sense, a book made sense. When life was confusing, a book worked out in the end. Laura Ingalls Wilder found her way out of the blizzard. And, you know, the world, Nancy Drew found the clue in the clock and all was well. But and Meg it, came down out of the attic. Yes. To see her sisters. And all was well. So those are the things that end up coming full circle in a story when they weren't coming full circle in my life. But reading some of the more magical tales, like The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe, wasn't just about finding places of magic and enchantment. It was about returning with a feeling that there is more to the world than we can see. And I wanted to do that in a book I wrote. I wanted you to leave the book thinking there is more than I can see, that I can look at the ordinary and see the extraordinary, that I can emerge from a land of fairy tale and understand that just what I see isn't all that there is. That's awesome. Um, 
You know, actually, let me remind all of you out there, if you're watching, I do think we might have a couple minutes to ask Patty live questions tonight. So oh, if you have awesome. a question for Patty, um, if you want to put it in, we would love to ask it. We'll, we'll hopefully get to a couple of those. Well, wait, I want to ask one of the live ones right now because it's cracking me up. Yeah. It, it, it <laughs> wants to know if anyone else is curious to know what that woman curled up in the background is reading <laughs> and, and how these incredible authors there can be so unfazed by her. <laughs> I didn't even know that you were there. I didn't either. We didn't even know she was back there. We don't I mean, know who she is. She but she's cooking dinner for us, so we, we're not, we're not complaining. We don't care. We don't that care. is my <laughs> beloved sister-in-law, Serena. And I don't think she knew that she was on camera. So. I don't know. But she's back there reading Once Upon a Wardrobe. So I am dying laughing. That's hilarious. I, she's like the best advertisement for your book. She's like I so know. immersed in the story. She doesn't even know there's a show going on. That's amazing. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> um, you know, Patty, we had asked Alice a little bit about um, writing truth to herself when she's writing a book. And I, I was wondering, were you learning anything or writing yourself a message as you were writing Once Upon a Wardrobe? Oh, wow. Um, I think that I was writing about how I was writing it during the pandemic. So during the pandemic, my graduate school son came home. My college son came home and my husband came home. And I think I was really trying to find a way to see the extraordinary in what was this madly burning world around me. Um, Are you sure you weren't just trying to escape? escape. I was also trying to escape. She was tumbling out. I was, I was, I was tapping <laughs> out. I tapped out. And I would take my computer and I would go down to the river and I would you know, walk into this world with George and Megs and Lewis and his brother, Warney and Oxford, which I really wanted to go back to and couldn't. And so it was my way of returning to a land that I wanted to return to. Um, but there is a fantastic essay by J.R.R. Tolkien called On Fairy Tales. And one of the things he writes is that they are the consolation of a happy ending. And I wanted to have that for us. I love that. Patty, while you were doing all this research, was there something surprising you learned while looking at the origins of Narnia? There were. When I started doing the research about his life, because I picked what I saw as the seven most influential moments in his life that show up in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And when I was doing that research, I didn't want to tell you what those were. I didn't want to have an appendix or a list and say, he did this and it meant that. I wanted you to feel it and see it. Yeah. Um, you know, story is the way we feel something. Facts are not the way we feel anything. And so if I'm going to give you a list of facts or an appendix about how things panned out between his life and the story, that's not going to move you or me. And so I decided that Lewis would tell these seven stories from his life. Meg would write them in a notebook and then Meg would read them to her little brother. 
And we would see those stories through her little brother's eyes. So we see these moments in Lewis's life through the innocence and naivety and this liminal, kind of liminal space that this ill boy is living in between what's now and what's next. So when Lewis is in the attic writing and making up a magical land as a child with his brother in the corner of the little end room, he called it, we're with him. When he is shipped off to a terrible boarding school, we are with him. When his mother dies at nine years old, we are with him. And then we can decide how much of that we see in a story. I love that. And there are no footnotes. There are no footnotes and there is not an appendix. (laughs) No footnotes in fiction. Nope. No, but you know what? What's more magical than seeing story through the eyes of a child? I, I think that was exactly, so exactly the right way to tell it. All and right, it's well, like I do we, it. Yeah, for me, it's amazing. Uh, we have some amazing. live questions. Yeah, and somebody says, uh, "Which order does Patty think should somebody read the Chronicles of Narnia?" Whatever order you want. Um, And it's a great question, Marianne, because I can tell you that there is a never ending argument among the Chronicle specialists. Mm -hmm. Some people think you should start with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and others think you should start with a, I think it's number four in the series that is actually the prequel. And some people number them one through seven differently, but I say read them in whatever order you want. Good, what a good answer. Yeah, I like that one. Okay, this is an amazing, amazing question. Robin Shelley wants to know what most impressed you about Jack Lewis, the man, through your research. Oh, wow, that's a great question. question. What most impressed me? His resilience, I can Mm -hmm. say that, and his resilience. So, we tend to put our most famous authors and our most favorite authors on a pedestal. And we forget that they're human Mm -hmm. and that they've had broken moments in their life and that they have had, you know, darkness and light. We see this piece of work they did and we think they're genius. That's who they are. This is everything. And we forget that they have all these moments in their life where they're broken or heartbroken and for me, his resilience in coming through, losing his mother at a young age, being sent to boarding school, surviving World War One, when his closest friend was killed right next to him. These are the things that he survived. And not only did he survive them, he took those moments and turned them into a magical land that we want to be in. He took all these ordinary moments in his life and turned them into something extraordinary. And for that, I think is the thing I am most impressed about him. I know a lot of other people would answer differently and they would say his genius or his writings, but for me, it is how he was able to alchemize and take these parts of his life and transform them for us. That's a great answer. That's awesome. You know, Patty, uh, Lori Alkin Brown is wondering, did you think about writing this book when you were writing Becoming Mrs. Lewis? Nope. When I was, I won't leave it there. When I was, (laughs) 
right, nope. move on. on. When I was writing Becoming Mrs. Lewis, I did see some of these breadcrumbs and some of these nuggets. And, you know, I noticed, but I was onto another book. I was writing Surviving Savannah. So these were not things that I was thinking I would ever turn into something else. But as our Mary Kay Andrews always says, there are the ladies in the attic and they are up there sending down signals and ideas. And this showed up and this little eight-year-old boy named George showed up, not literally in my imagination. (laughs) And I knew that I wanted to tell a story about imagination and the kind of clanging of imagination versus logic. And how do we explain the unexplainable? And so I didn't plan on it and I didn't mean to. And I spent two years on a completely different book, you know, about Savannah in 1838. So this wasn't in the works. This was bubbling in the background. Awesome. So I have like kind of a couple questions for you, like okay. rapid fire back to back, because okay. this one you have to answer. So Shirley Carhart wants to know, are you ladies ever going to come to the Northeast, Manasquan, New Jersey, Booktown? Yes. <laughs> yes. Definitely. Yes. That's where our Meg lives. And we were definitely planning on doing that. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Once COVID is gone, we yeah. are hitting the road. And Carrie Soderman wants to know, does Patty have a wardrobe in her home? Oh my gosh, that's a great, great question. I don't. Um, but no, no. no we're all gonna have to chip in. I um <laughs> I know. somebody <laughs> sent me this fantastic picture the other day, Carrie, and it was a wardrobe that somebody had opened the doors and added a bench in it and painted like a wintry scene in the background, and it was a reading nook for a kid. And it had like a little lantern light and I am going to, I'm going to go junking with Mary Kay Andrews Mm -hmm. and I'm going to find a wardrobe and I'm going to turn it into a reading nook for a child. What about the wardrobe that I posted on Instagram? I love that wardrobe. Will you go get it for me? It's 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 actually my linen closet and I was going to put my grand... I have a full rental storage that has a really nice. Do you have one in there? <laughs> you can have it. You okay. can have it and you can paint the inside. And- well, oh, that's great. And <laughs> once you make it into a reading nook, your sister-in-law can read in there next time. I mean, I know. Comes full you away from the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Please stick around because we have some surprises, plus the giveaway of the Paris Market Candle coming up on our after show. But first, we wanted to remind all of you out there to check out our Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcasts. We'll always post the links under announcements each time a new one goes out. It's a lot of fun, and it's totally different from this show. So if you like hanging out with us here, um, we know you will love being there with us, too. So it's every Friday, and this past week, Ron talked to Sari Feldman about library rock stars, and this week, Ron will talk to Patty and to Christy about the inspiration behind their new novels. And make sure to join the Friends in Fiction, oh, I'm not in screen, official book club, which is separate from us and run by our friends, Lisa Harrison and Brenda Gardner. On Monday, October 25th, they're going to be talking to Paige Crutcher about her new novel, The Orphan Witch, just out. And I'll be joining them the day before that on October 24th to talk about Christmas and Peachtree Bluff, which comes out in six days. Six days. Six days. 
all of us also have an event together that day at Oxford Exchange. So we might have some surprise pop-ins. So I, I, I can't, I can't guarantee <laughs> it. I don't know what their schedules are going to be, but it's possible. So you might want to stick around. They, and, she, we didn't ask. She didn't ask us, but I we're doing it anyway. I didn't. Well, I didn't like it or not. I, know. Like, <laughs> I can't say they're coming and then them not show up, right? Um, but don't forget that you can get all three of our winter releases, the Santa suit, Patty's Once Upon a Wardrobe, and My Christmas in Peachtree Bluff from Oxford Exchange. You can also add on Kristen's beautiful The Forest of Vanishing Stars as an option. And I have to remind you to subscribe to both our newsletter and our YouTube channel mm -hmm. so that you have access to all of our past episodes and you never miss a thing. Like when Facebook goes down. Yeah, don't right? yeah. Don't be a victim. No, I, that makes don't me, be a victim. That mm. makes me seize up. Yep. Also, if you're within <laughs> driving distance of Florida, come see us this weekend. Road trip. Road trip. Woohoo! Are we going to have roadies? I think we must. Obviously. Okay. <laughs> On Saturday, all four of us will be in my hometown, St. Pete. Holla! Woo-woo! <laughs> okay. What was that? <laughs> I was being trendy! <laughs> I think we're all over being age-shamed. Ageism is real. <laughs> I resent <laughs> it. Talk to the I, re I oh resent being aged out. Sorry, we won't do it again. So Ron, Ron Saturday. is saying hashtag love talk. <laughs> you guys are all drinking the champagne. Hashtag love talk. I love it. Oh my goodness. On Saturday, all of us will be in St. Pete at Tombolo Books. On Sunday, we'll be in Tampa at the Oxford Exchange. On Monday, we'll be doing events in Punta Gorda and Sanibel. You can find the info on any of our websites under events, and that is on the interwebs. For those of you interwebs, <laughs> in the interwebs. <laughs> uh, that's not real. Hello. <laughs> oh, now I'm being shrill. Oh my gosh. Oh, speaking of events, next week, join us right here at 7 Eastern as we welcome. No, I am not even going to tell you that we're going to be here next Wednesday because now I've been shamed. But Richard Paul Evans. Will help She's us. She's not going to talk about my lunch. She's no. going to ignore your lunch. I did said it. She started it. Not me. Oh, my face hurts. Okay. <laughs> uh, we'll celebrate Richard Paul Evans' book and the launch of Christie's Christmas in Stream Bluff, which I did blurb. And if you, I mean, I blurbed your book. How can you shame me it for being a writer? If, if you are ever wondering about our schedule, it is always available on Friends of Fiction website. And the, wait, stop scrolling. I can't see. And you can also see our fall schedule on our Facebook awesome. banner on the interwebs. This sleigh is, <laughs> <laughs> is rolling All around right, yeah. the hill. I, I thought I had it, but clearly I'm not a responsible sleigh driver. All right. To, to all of you out there, we encourage you to grab Alice's books from Warwick's this week. And of course, Patty's beautiful new book too. 
And I would also encourage you to order the Santa suit and yes. Christmas and Peachtree Bluff, which is coming out in just yes. six days. We're so excited to celebrate that. There is magic in the air. There's vove in the tummies of my friends. So right. just... Not enough food, clearly. <laughs> clearly not enough food to go with the champagne. <laughs> exactly. Join us at the after show. Backgrounds. Clearly, you're not going to want to miss this after show. So there is magic in the air and lucky you because all you have to do is order these books and you too can have magic in the palms of your hands in just a matter of days. So don't forget to stay for our after show. We have our pop in Meg and some other guests coming and come back next week. Same time, same place as we welcome Richard Paul Evans to celebrate Christie's Pe- Christmas in Peachtree Bluff. Please celebrate again. Celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> celebrate. As we as we welcome Richard Paul Evans to celebrate Christie's Christmas in Peachtree Bluff. I am so grateful uh-huh. to all of you for tuning in. And I'm so glad we got to talk to Alice and talk a bit about Once Upon a Wardrobe. And I hope you love it and that you feel the same way I did while I was writing it about the true magic behind one of the 20th centuries. They're so disrespectful. Most beloved fairy tales. I will see you in a minute at the after show. Oh my gosh, y'all. That was amazing. And that was so fun. So much fun. That was so much fun. Except for when you shamed me for being old. No, but Holly was her. I said, woo woo. And Patty said, what was that? I mean, I was here for the holla. I was all about it. All about it. Oh my god! You used to say that on AOL Instant Messenger. Thank like, you. And that's you're shaming me for being on AOL still too. <laughs> I do. I know you. That's do. true. I mean, okay, I'm ending things. this. Stop with the holla. That was so much fun. And Alice Hoffman was amazing. The way she can talk about magic and realism and and um and the past. She's just. I'm so impressed with her. And she didn't even. Lynch when we asked how she went back and forth. She writes mm-hmm. historical fiction about real people. Then she writes magic. Then she writes screenplays. And she's like, yeah, whatever. Like, I can do all yeah. of it. Do you, do you know who else is amazing? amazing? Oh. Yes. Me? Mm-hmm. You yes. too? <laughs> you know who else is amazing? Meg. 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 You know who else is amazing? Meg. Serena. <laughs> Serena. <laughs> all right. You take back control, my friends. Sorry. Patty, do you want to tell us who won your beautiful candle? Yes, Meg picked randomly. You know, I just have to say, someone just said this is funny. Champagne hitting, y'all. We have there are four of us. We have we not barely had dented half it. A bottle of champagne. Like we, we are just <laughs> all together, and we're like tickled. Like we're not. We're so happy to be together. But only sick of being drink shamed. But only Hollaback girls had that. <laughs> Ain't no holla back girl. Ain't no holla back girl. Okay. The winner is Carrie Soderman. I'm dead. And she has said, Carrie Soderman, congratulations. She said, my favorite fairy tale as a child was Sleeping Beauty because I loved Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether. Gosh, I forgot their names. That's beautiful. I know. The three fairy godmothers. I pretended they were my godmothers too. Oh, Carrie. Well, um, direct message us 
and I will get that candle in the mail to you. It smells glorious. It is made of pine and sugar plum and amber. It smells like Florafauna and Merryweather. Florafauna and Merryweather. It smells like elves' tears. Elves' tears. And they sell them at the Paris market if y'all want some. But that's awesome. It looks like you had a great event there last night. Or yeah, last it was night. Was last night. That's awesome. It was just that's absolutely cool. over the top. Like you should have seen how it was decorated and just yep. it was the best celebration of her you can imagine. Yeah. So good. And don't forget, y'all. And you, we had champagne too. We had to, shocking. Yes. So shockingly, shockingly, we had, we had champagne. So guys, and don't forget I, I already have order. From Warwick's tonight, you will get one of the wooden bookmarks, which are also yep. quite magical. Yes. So. Great. Who's supposed to talk now? Christy Woodson Harvey. I am, I am, but I thought Kristen was trying to say something. Oh, no, no. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just telling you about the champagne I was bringing for Saturday, but that's okay. <gasps> no, I would, there. We would like, we would like to know We would like that. to hear about that. Please, high please holla about that. <laughs> All I have thought about this week is like what bottles of wine and what food I'm bringing. Like I, it's, it's like taken over my entire head. I don't and know. That is yes. why we love you. That is why we love you. <laughs> We're probably going to eat something more than, you know, a protein bar. So One okay. of many, many, many <laughs> yeah. Yes, I have a baggie in my car of them and I, I'm sick of all the flavors already. Yeah. And it's like only day three. It's not no, good. no protein bars. Got it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So since we've discussed, uh, we've announced our candle winner. And um, I wanted to remind you about our road trip, which we've already talked about a little bit. So as Mary Kane mentioned, the four of us will be together in Florida this weekend. It's a part of our book tour. So we are hitting the road to celebrate the Santa suits. Woo! Holla. <laughs> holla, baby. <laughs> Patty's wardrobe, oh, which is out now in stores wherever books are sold and my Christmas and Peachtree Bluff, which comes out next Tuesday. And Kristen is joining us as a moderator and obviously we'll have her books available also. We'll be in St. Pete, Tampa, Punta Gorda, and Sanibel. You can find the information on each of our individual websites as well as the Friends of Fiction newsletter and website. Oh, and um, Sean is telling us that people are asking, what is the Paris market? Oh, oh. The Paris market is this unbelievably magical, and we are overusing the word, but not compared to this store, <laughs> store in downtown Savannah. And they have a website. On it's Broughton called Street. On Broughton Street, and it is called the Paris market. And you can find their website and they have just the most amazing things. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you'll have the chance to see all of us in Florida in just a few days and I can't wait. But right now we have another amazing opportunity to celebrate magic and friendship. And that's because our special guests tonight to pop in right now are Meg Walker and Lisa Harrison and Brenda Gardner, our dear friends who run the fan friends. Fiction official Hi, book club, as Hi, well as our beloved rock star librarian Ron Block, who helms our extraordinary podcast. And we would I, I need to keep up without <laughs> them, right? They're here. Hi guys! Hi. Hi. Cheers to you, Patty. Happy launch. Holla to you, Mary Kay. Holla, holla, holla. <laughs> I say holla all the time. It's like my favorite word. So you are so cool. Don't, yeah. You're good. Oh my God. Tom is the only rooster in the hen house. He's easy to spot. Oh, y'all are amazing. While celebrating friendship, Sean, can you pop on too? 
Yes, Sean. Sean, we want you to join us. I don't want to. <laughs> the whole gang is here. This is the entire team, y'all. This is the what magic happening in these little squares. Okay, we love you all so much. And our viewers don't often get um, to see you. Have they ever seen Sean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've had him I had 20 so Facebook friend requests that week. That was a good week for me. Thank you. Did you <laughs> people were like, where have they been at? <laughs> Did you write a song for me for um, Once Upon a Wardrobe? <laughs> Once Upon a Wardrobe. Oh, no. <clears throat> no. I'm still workshopping it. Sorry. Okay. You just let us know when you're ready. Workshopping that. With me. I'm helping you. Okay. You know how lovely that is. Well, all of us, we all have such lovely voices. So we all have stories that stick in our consciousness or stories that just stick with us in general and rise up when things are tough or whatever's going on. And of course, mine is the line, the witch in the wardrobe. But what is one that y'all love? I'd love to hear if there's a story that works some magic in your life. So I'm going to start with you, Ron. Oh, well, it's a good follow up to Alice. I'm glad she kind of brought out that some of the darker stories can be so special. And uh, yeah. for me, it was early when I was really young. I heard The Little Match Girl. <gasps> Love you, that one. Right. Right. And, and when my kids were born and as they, you know, reading stories of them at the holidays, I would read it to them and I would be crying and they'd be looking at me like I'm a crazy person. But it was a great story to teach about like looking at um, the joys in life and um, and build empathy in yourself for others and, and not take things at face value. So for me, it's just always stayed with me. And now they read it to their children. So, Ron, I've always loved that story. But the message I got, it's so great how when you read a fairy tale, everybody gets something different. Yeah. The match girl for me was about not wasting your fire. Oh, like oh, not wasting your creative energy. That was that's deep. That's what I got out of it. All right, my friend Lisa, what was yours? Tell me a story that worked some magic in your life. For me, I loved Hansel and Gretel because when I was younger, I thought it was cool that the kids, you know, the moral is, you know, obey your parents. Don't talk to strangers. They could be weird, creepy witches. And for me, I loved that the kids outsmarted the witch. And I was like, yeah, you can listen to your parents, but you could still be smarter than your parents. And for me as a kid, that was like eye opening. And then I think that opened up things for me because I started to like witches and looking into like magical things. So I loved Hansel and Gretel growing up. That was my favorite. I just, I love hearing somebody else's view of a tale we think we all know. Right. All right, our friend Brenda, I want to hear your favorite story that works some magic in your life. Well, I'm, I'm going a little bit older from the really young fairy tales. And this is not so much a fairy tale, but the secret garden just meant so oh, much to me. And yeah. I don't know if it was, the shriveled up old garden that was hidden and and nobody knew about that came to life or if it was about Colin who was this sick you know the sickly child who 
you know, blossomed like the garden once he started working in it. And, and it's, it's funny because I just thought about it just now. The, the, the empathy I felt for Colin is a lot like George in oh. Once Upon a Wardrobe. So um, it just was a powerful story to me about friendship and about transformation. And that just stuck with me. There are definitely, I got, I, I feel like there's some good parallels there too. Really? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I really do. I, I got those like sort of vibes, like in the, in the best way, like you, you get that feeling that you felt. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. That's a huge compliment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. How about you, MKA? <laughs> well, you know, I'm a child of the fifties and sixties. So my representation of so many classic fairy tales were the Disney versions, which were cleaned up and fantasized and uh, technicolored. Um, but I, another Disney movie um, version, which was the Swiss Swiss Family Robinson. Oh, yes. yeah. So my first book that was my very own, I was the second of five kids, five kids born in seven years. Everybody shared everything. Um, but my first book that I owned was given to me as a Christmas gift. And it was one of those big, large format, little golden books. And it was a Swiss family Robinson. And oh. I think that probably started my love of making a home and making the best of a bad situation. And then, of course, I saw the movie at the drive-in theater in St. Pete. I think Kurt Russell was the uh -huh. dad? No, no, he was a no, kid, no. honey. I'm old. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I thought of. We know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. No. Oh, um, my I I love I love the idea of they they salvaged all the stuff from the shipwreck and they made this happy home. And of course, it's not at all in the original um Swiss Family Robinsons, which is a very deep, in real life, Swiss Family Robinson was written by a Swiss pastor uh, who wanted to moralize. But in the Disney movie, you know, they're out riding an ostrich on a South Seas desert island, which is a little unlikely, but <laughs> nothing about that. I, you know, from that, the time I, I watched that movie and, and read my little golden book, I was always like making houses and making forts and trying to figure out how to capture an ostrich and afford it to ride. That's, yeah. <laughs> when we help you next week, we'll help you try to yeah, find an we'll, ostrich. We'll work on that. Pete, we'll look for some ostriches. <laughs> It'd be awesome. Just saddle yeah, All right. How about you, Kristen? What is the story that has worked magic in your life? You know, I was thinking about this and I not a big fairy tale reader when I was a kid. I, I watched the Disney movies, you know, I mean, I grew up in Florida. I grew up all things Disney. Um, but you know what I, what really resonated with me as a kid, I was obsessed when I was a young teenager with John F. Kennedy. And what is the story oh, of John F. Kennedy? If not Camelot. a real life Camelot. fairy tale, right? I mean, Camelot mm -hmm. is such a fairy tale, including the darkness that we talked about, right? I mean, yeah. so it's the, it's, oh, it's that sense of, of uh, kings and queens and royalty, right? It's, it's the dark, it's the light, it's the triumph, it's the tragedy. It's, it's just all of these things that sort of teach us something and, and make us feel something. And the more I thought about that, the more I was thinking, you know, 
fairy tales reflect life and life can reflect fairy tales. Yes. And I think we see that. I think we see that in Once Upon a Wardrobe. You're telling oh. the story behind a story. But the actual telling of that story is this beautiful, magical fairy mm-hmm. tale. So they're trying to discover the magic, but the magic is there. The magic is in them. And I, I think, I don't know, that just occurred to me as I was thinking about Kennedy earlier. The, Kennedy, the, the Kennedy's. Look at you bringing it full circle. Oh, my oh, no. <laughs> wow, that gave me kind of chill bumps. All right, Christine, how about you? <laughs> So this was not what I was going to say, but as I was sitting here, I remember as a child loving Puss in Boots and I don't know why, yes. like, I don't remember the story. I don't remember anything. So I can't wait to go read it because it was my favorite fairy tale <laughs> as a child. So now I want to go back and read it, but this is not like a fairy tale per se, but I've probably said this on the show before, but I loved Matilda yep. and um, oh, yeah. like she yes. is able to channel like her goodness and turn it into true magic to fight people who are evil and going back to once upon a wardrobe. I mean, when we think about, you know, George and how he's sort of finding his own personal Narnia, or at least to me, he was like, that struck me from the beginning. Um, Matilda is finding her Narnia, like in the end of the book, you know, she really is. So that's like a good comparison, but, um, and they're both these children with these huge imaginations that channel their imagination to create the world that, they want for themselves. God, stories affect us um, so much. Okay, Meg, dying to know. All right. Well, I, I, like Kristen, I think um, I, I wasn't a big fairy tale kid, and I did. I was not a real girly girl, and I didn't like the princess stories. Didn't speak to me. Um, but I was, and I don't think this is really what people think of as a fairy tale. But um, I was a huge Christmas nut. I was born on Christmas Day, so um, she's our with, Christmas self with um, Rudolph. <laughs> Those reindeer. Oh my gosh, I love it. Because to me, it's just the ultimate anti bullying story. And someone seeing that everybody has something to contribute. And if we all just recognize a little bit of goodness in each other, like um, we're going to get the sleigh moving and we're going to get the job done. Um, <laughs> That's kind of all of us. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I love know. that. Love it. All right, Sean. We're going to make you talk instead of sing. I can't wait to hear Sean. I know. I know. Sing. I have a good, you know, I was just thinking about everyone that you guys mentioned. You know, I'm a father of two young kids, so I get to relive, you know, childhood and all. all I'm trying to check all the boxes of even like Wizard of Oz. We haven't done yes. that. You know? yeah. But yeah, we're doing the Disney ones. We've done that. But I, I just don't know what categorizes anymore. Um, as fairy tales, you know, I think about all the, the the movies that really impacted me. I'm sorry, I know it should be books, but I think about E.T. <laughs> and like Spielberg yes! fairy tale. Yeah, that's you a know? Good one. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. That's a great one. Oh my gosh! I mean, because even, like I say about the line, "The Witch in the Wardrobe." Even if you've never read it, you know who Aslan is. You know who the White Witch is. Even if you've never seen E.T., mm-hmm. you know. Yes. Oh, Right. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Let's do that again. <laughs> All right, we're gonna ask the girl on the couch. What was your favorite fairy tale? Your story. She said no. <laughs> 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 we made her freeze up. <laughs> She's the biggest reader I've ever met in my life. She's our best reader. All right, y'all. Sorry about that. Ron, do you no. want to take a turn and ask Patty a question? 
Well, I do, but I, you know, have another sip of ooh first. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All right. Whatever you okay. <laughs> so. Move talk, move talk. <laughs> okay, so I, I've kind of asked you this podcast before. Podcast is now going to be Boom Talk with Ron. Yeah, <laughs> love it. You know that could be a special holiday edition. Holla, holidays, holidays. Yes. We lost all of you. It's over. I have that shirt. I have my shirt. I'm going to take a picture and send it to Mary Kay. Happy holidays on it. I have that shirt. I love it. I have to sample everything. You're on it. Okay. Okay, so I've, I've asked you this a little bit before, but one of the things that you really haven't talked about tonight is whether it's the stories that Meg is telling, Megs is telling uh, George or the stories that, um, that uh, Lewis was telling to Megs, you have sprinkled magic over every part of this book. Mm-hmm. And part of that comes down into the setting, whether it's Meg sitting on the rock in the, or the snow falling or the travels that they make. It's an element in everything. And how do you make that work? Oh, that is such a lovely compliment. And I I sort of mentioned this before that I was writing it during the lockdown and I wanted to live in that world, Mm -hmm. a world where Megs would sit in a snowy forest and a a stump covered in snow would look like an elf or she would be able to see the medieval castle that inspired Care Paravel and that she would have to have an adventure to do things like that. So I was taking myself on the adventures that I wanted them to go on. And I wanted it to feel like there was some magic. I wanted them to feel like they were taking the parts of his life and they were seeing it through new eyes. So thanks. Oh no, that's so true. So true. And so magical and congrats on the book. Thanks. Okay, we've gone way over our time limit, and we have had a holla back time. <laughs> and I am so—I will never, ever live this down. No, you won't. You won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I can say, as long as we're moving away from Patty and the sound effects, we're in good shape. So, <laughs> Thank I don't you. know you did, though. I should have done That's some right. <laughs> I got something. I got something. Wait. Wait you what got you got? <laughs> 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 oh, my gosh. Y'all are amazing. Thank you so much for joining us for Alice Hoffman and for a launch of Once Upon a Wardrobe and for magic and for books. And don't forget to... As Mary Kerr says, <laughs> buy our books, damn it. Buy our books, damn it. Right on. Love I gotta y'all. go put on my stirrup pants now. Yes, I would like that. <laughs> and we'll put on some Olivia Newton John. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Kristen, we'll see you Saturday. Good night, everyone. I Kristen, see you Saturday. Can Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. 
We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.